as an elder. This morning's reading comes from Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, which can be found on page 859 of your Pew Bible. In a Christ community, it is our tradition to stand as we read God's word from Luke 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You may be seated as we take a moment to contemplate God's word. A true story. Several years ago, I was meeting with a guy who knew nothing about Christianity, didn't grow up in going to church in any way, knew nothing about the Bible. And we met for several weeks to go through the Gospel of John together. And in that time, we had a lot of different discussions, and he asked me at one point about my preaching. And I said, well, you know, when I preach, for the most part, I go through books of the Bible. And he said, hmm. Well, I guess that doesn't take too long. When you're done, what else do you do? Are there other books that you go through? <laughs> and I thought, that's, that's okay. Uh, but obviously, you know, uh, we know different. We never get done with the Bible. Uh, we don't need another book to go through. The Bible's plenty um, to try to keep us on the straight and narrow. Charles Spurgeon said, nobody ever outgrows the Bible. It widens and deepens as you grow. And so I begin with that story this morning uh, because at the beginning of the week, I had planned to take these 13 verses and make it one sermon 
to squeeze it into one 30-minute sermon or so, and I just quickly realized that wasn't going to be possible because it's too deep, it's too wide, and so I decided to divide it into two parts. First, we'll talk about three characters, three characters, and next week we'll talk about three, the three temptations. The, the three characters, you see them all there in the first sentence. And Jesus, that's the first character, full of the Holy Spirit, that's the second character, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the devil. These are three key characters, not only in this passage, not only in the Bible, but in interacting in our own lives. So I just wanted to take a whole sermon to try to lay down these three characters so we had some basic understanding of who these three characters are. And then next week, we'll look at these three temptations. And what they specifically, what do they reveal about Jesus's faith? Jesus goes under this temptation, and my, there's lots of ways to look at it, but I really want to ask the question, what does it reveal about Jesus' faith? If we're going to be built to last, part of that is just understanding how Jesus operates. How does this faith operate on a day-to-day level, and how do we need to follow him? So we'll get to that next week. There's a website that a lot of times I... Um, suggest to people it's called gotquestions.org some of you know that website and it's I, I wouldn't agree with everything on any website but it's a good website to go to if you have questions and uh, a lot of times you just might say well what do I th- what does the bible say about satan or the devil or the holy spirit and they give you sort of bite-sized answers to that gotquestions.org so that eliminate you having to <clears throat> call me and ask those questions Instead of gotpastor.org, gotquestions.org. So first, who or what is the Holy Spirit? It's the first character here we want to look at. In the King James Version, uh, it's often re- the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the Holy Ghost. Some of you grew up saying the Holy Ghost. Is, it, is, it, is the Holy Spirit a ghost? Is that a good way to talk about the Holy Spirit? Or is the Holy Spirit like a power? Sort of like you would think of Star Wars. It's a force. I remember watching on television a a televangelist, and uh, he thought he had control of the Holy Spirit. He could see the Holy Spirit. And one time he ducked to get out of the way of the Holy Spirit, but the poor people next to him didn't duck, and they got just plowed over by the Holy Spirit. Is that the Holy Spirit? Can you duck out of the way of the Holy Spirit? See, there's all kinds of different images we might have in our head as to who or what is the Holy Spirit. The hymn that we sing, Holy, 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 we say this, Holy, 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 Merciful and Mighty. What is the next line? God in three persons. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. So the hymn writer, uh, Reginald uh, Heber, I think is his name, uh, is right. He, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's the third person of the Trinity. John 16, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, and he refers to the Holy Spirit as he 12 times in that passage. He will come. He will do this. It's a person. Matthew 28, this uh, baptismal recitation that we'll have in, uh, t- today at the beach day, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, what does it say, in the name, the name of the Father. It doesn't say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It says the name of. So this is a person who has a name. It's not a power. And I think we can maybe just see this from another way uh, by just how we might examine ourselves. We're, we're people. We're beings. We have a physical nature. And I think most people believe we have a spiritual being, a spiritual nature that is a person. It's a, it's a being. If you ever go to a, a visitation or a funeral where there's an open casket, and you see the, the woman laying there, the man laying there, and you realize this is their physical body, but you most of the time you would say something like this, but they're not really here. And, and what you mean is they have a, an essence, I would say, a spirit that, that's not here anymore. So you couldn't just be a person by just being a physical being. You're, you're, you're a person by being a physical and a spiritual being. So... The Holy Spirit is a person, not not a power. Uh, The Holy Spirit is divine. And the reason I chose the Nicene Creed today, although it was very long, it's very helpful to uh, inform us what we think about Jesus, what we think about the Holy Spirit. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Hear that? It's he is the Lord and one of his particular properties or assignments, you might say, he is the giver of life. He's the Lord and the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. So the Holy Spirit is a divine person. A couple things about his roles. He is the giver of life. It's not just true in the Nic- because the Nicene Creed says it. Some of you will remember the story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee that come meets Jesus at night, and he's confused about uh, what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says, the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit is the one who gives life. It's the Spirit who hovers over the darkness of creation. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the Spirit hovers over the darkness and chaos of creation and brings to light and life things. It's the Spirit who hovered over Lauren and brought her from darkness into light, who brought her from death into a recreated being. Behold, all things are new. You are a, you are a new creation. So the Holy Spirit is the giver of life, and the Holy Spirit is the giver of guidance. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he's a, another helper. The Greek word there is paraclete, somebody who comes alongside like a counselor or an advocate. And Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. What I say is the truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to guide you back to what Jesus says. If you ever get the Holy Spirit saying something apart from the Bible, then it's, it's your spirit or some other spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a, a person. He's a divine person, not just a power. He is the giver of life. He's the one who gives guidance. Secondly, second character here. Now, we could say a lot more about the Holy Spirit, but, you know, we have a limited amount of time here. I was uh, looking at uh, something on the Holy Spirit, and John Owen, a Puritan writer, wrote a book, 630 pages on the Holy Spirit. 
So I'm only giving you one page today. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but he's a person, not a power. He's somebody who gives life and gives guidance. The devil, or sometimes called Satan here in our text, the devil, or diablos in the Greek, where we get our word diabolical. He's a slanderer. slanderer. He's a false accuser. Here's how Jesus describes the devil, John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with truth. He is the father of all lies. So he's a murderer. He's a liar. And he was this way from the beginning. His origins, a little bit hard to pick up sometimes in the Bible. There's a lot of gray area when you're talking about Satan in the Bible um, as to his origin. But Jude chapter 6, Jude, this little book that only has one chapter in it right before the book of Revelation says this, angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper place. Angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper place. So the way most biblical scholars think about it is that God created everything good. And at some point after that time, he created a spiritual world, angels. He's created a physical world, the one that we live in. And at some point, this, some portion of these angels rebelled against God, much like we rebelled against God. And they, they didn't keep their positions of authority. And here's Isaiah 14 describing it. You are fallen from heaven. You said in your heart, I will send to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is Satan. And God says, but you are brought down to the pit. So his origins, he was a created being. He's a created being that's fallen. He's somebody who tried to take the place of God. Now here's how he operates. Here's how he operates. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age, or the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So some, one way the devil operates is he blinds the mind. I, just, I see with my eyes, I hear with my ears, but I just can't absorb it. I can't understand it. 1 John five nineteen. we know that we are children of God, and, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So Satan here in this conversation he has with Jesus, he says he has some authority. He does have some authority. Ephesians 6, some of you are familiar with this passage, putting on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. The goal of the devil, to kill, steal, and destroy. So the devil is a created being who tried to usurp God's authority. And now he and his, uh, his followers, demons, are now operating in the world. And the goal is to, de- to destroy, to steal, to kill. And so that's a, sort of a, the basic outline. But here's what I w- would think some people would be thinking now. Do you really expect people today 
to believe in the devil? I mean, isn't this some sort of kind of construct or like naive thinking or like, you know, people who weren't very educated way back when sort of believed in the devil or there's a devil on your shoulder or the devil made me do it, you know, sort of that thing that you just sort of feel like, I mean, we're kind of more educated now and we understand there are, you know, political issues or social issues or economic issues that create chaos. But I mean, the devil, are we really supposed to believe in the devil? Tim Keller had some thoughts here that I'll sort of weave in my next page but I thought he was particularly helpful in describing some of these things. The Bible teaches us about the depth, the depth and complexity of evil in a way that I think matches reality. Now, you have to decide for yourself. But, but I think when you're looking at the world, all of us, I think, would conclude that there is something wrong, there is something evil, and we have to come up with, well, why is it this way? How did it get this way? You don't have to be a Christian. You just have to be a person who's alive and say, well, what's wrong and what should I do about it? That's a question of evil. It's not, a, it's not a question only Christians have to ask. Everyone has to ask this question. And I would say the way the Bible teaches about evil, its depth and its complexity matches with my experience. You decide for yourself. Luke chapter 4. Now, we'll examine these temptations in greater detail next week, but notice how slippery these temptations are for Jesus. Satan doesn't come right at Jesus, put him in a headlock, and say, murder someone. You know, lie, steal. I mean, that's not what he does. He actually takes a good thing. All three of these things that he tempts Jesus with are all good. You're hungry, food's good. You've got to have food to eat, to live. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this physical desire and I'm going to try to piggyback on this desire and turn it in the wrong direction. That's how Satan, he takes a good desire, he expands that desire, then he turns that desire in his own direction. Physical desires, psychological desires. Jesus, you want to be king? You are the king. You're going to be the king. And Jesus knows he's going to be the king. He's, he is the king of kings. And Satan says, I can just help you with that. Let's just take a little shortcut. I mean, this is where you want to go. I'm just acknowledging it. Let's just go in that way. You see how Satan, he piggybacks on good things to make you make a wrong decision or a foundational desire. You, I mean, you believe in the Bible, don't you? I mean, the Bible says... God's not going to let your, you know, your foot be cast against a stone. So let's just test the Bible. Let's just make sure your foundation is true. Piggybacks on those things. So Satan is always trying to create some kind of alliance between your desires and himself. Trying to get you to satisfy good desires in a wrong way. And I, I wonder if you've ever noticed how quickly your desire, good desires get out of control. Maybe it's just me. But you're, you're moving some way physically, you're moving some way emotionally, you're moving some way in a conversation, and just quickly you're like, I'm moving in the wrong direction. I don't even know how I got here in this conversation. Honey, I thought everything was fine, and five seconds later, you know, it's, we've got World War III. Not in my house, I'm just saying in other homes. It just seems I, I came in wanting to be complimentary, and, and you know, it's, it's over, you know, it feels like. Or just I, I'm thinking what I think are pure thoughts and then se- seemingly out of nowhere, 
anger or lust or greed or pride come in, and it, it just accelerates. And I can't believe how quickly it moves. This is Satan trying to take some good desires and accelerate them. Ephesians 4.27, good example of this. In your anger, do not sin. So Paul's saying in this world, you're going to have real reasons to be angry. But he's offering a warning. It, it, anger can quickly accelerate. So be careful. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know that? So if you're married, that doesn't mean you go to bed happy every night. I hate to inform you if you're engaged right now. It just means you don't, you don't want it to last so your anger turns to hatred. So, you, so your anger turns into a grudge. And now I'm holding this thing against my spouse or my friend or someone in the church. I, I don't want the sun to set on this because once it does, it gets hard. Then it gets harder to remo- remove. But remember what Paul says? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Because you don't want to, remember what it says? Give the devil a foothold. Isn't that interesting? See, he's not just saying, here's a good way of living. This is a sort of a general principle. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That, that could, anyone could sort of understand that and say, that's right. I don't want to be, I don't want to hold a grudge. I don't want to be that kind of person. I, I want to be more generous in my spirit for, with other people. Almost anybody could say that's a good thing. But Paul goes on and connects it to say, if you don't, then you give the devil a foothold. A foothold. A foothold to take your anger and expand it and stretch it and lead you in ways that you hadn't planned on going. If you're not careful with your desires, especially anger, it can get a foothold in your soul. And Satan advances in your life, and Satan loves to form an alliance with your desires and to convince you those desires have to be satisfied in some particular way. Genesis chapter 3, So when Eve saw the tree that was good for food, it was a delight in the eyes, it made one wise. See, these are all good things. And Satan's piggybacking on those desires. And when she takes it, he expands evil. He magnifies it. If you're not careful, Satan uses your desires to gain a foothold. Then he takes you places you never intended to go. And if he does, then you might be surprised how hard it is to get rid of anger. If it gets a foothold... You think, well, next week I'm going to stop being angry. Next week I'm going to stop overeating. Next week I'm not going to take that drink. Next week I'm not going to make that purchase. Next week I'm not going to look at the computer image. I mean, you see what happens? It, it, he takes something and he quickly expands it. And then you think, I thought I had this under control, and now you don't have it under control anymore. The Bible teaches us there are three enemies for the Christian. These are found in Ephesians 2. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. This is all underneath the devil saying, here's my understanding of reality and how the Bible makes sense of it for me. The world, there are outside forces of evil. 
there, or there are ways you, you and I get sinned against from the world. Might be a person, could be a system. But something from the outside is oppressive to me or, or harmful to me. The flesh. There's something inside of you that's wrong too. It's not just, hey, outside forces. A lot of times you hear this in, in political speak. If we just could fix all the outside forces, if we could just put enough money in, enough education in, we fix these outside issues, then we could get the right result. And I'm saying that's just too simplistic. I'm not saying those things aren't helpful, but there's also an inside force. There's something in me that's wrong. Evil emanates from the inside out, the Bible says. I find that true about myself. The world, the flesh, the devil. There are spiritual forces of evil trying to intensify, complexify, magnify. So that what otherwise might be a small, small issue quickly explodes or escalates. Here's Tim Keller. Unless you bring in the demonic, you can't come to grips about the whole of evil and how it's greater than the sum of its part. See, he looks out into the world, Keller is saying, and saying, I see parts of evil, but then I see the whole of it is actually bigger. And he says there's a de- demonic forces. There are evil forces at work to expand and explode and exaggerate. Maybe when you started out with some little small evil in your heart, anger, lust, greed, pride, it got out of control and blew up your whole family. And you go, I remember when that started. I can't believe it's ruined our whole family. Or a church. Just some little rub in a church and suddenly got fractions and then a year later it's exploded. Could happen in a city, can happen in a nation. Or systemic evil. All of us are aware, I hope, of the systemic evil, especially of the Jim Crow South, caused so much devastation in 1898, a big marker for Wilmington. If you were to talk to a lot of the individuals back at that time who supported the system, here's my guess. I mean, I can't talk to any of them. But I think most of them would seem, wouldn't seem like bad people. You wouldn't think they're evil from top to bottom. Because you're not evil from top to bottom. It is coming out of you in some force, but you're not all, as evil as you possibly could be. But somehow they've joined into a system. And Satan takes fears and ignorance and greed and pride and racism and sin and magnifies it so it's so much greater than the whole. So now you have a whole system of some people who aren't really that bad, but somehow they've added to the system and and Satan has expanded the system to now to be oppressive in ways that are so much bigger. I was reading just this morning an article by David French. Some of you know him political writer who's a Christian, writes for an organization called The Dispatch. In his article this morning, he has some quotes about politics, and he starts out by a a poll from the University of Virginia. He says, nearly half of the country strongly or somewhat agrees that it's time to split the country. Each side see the other side as an existential threat. So so we're not just people who have different viewpoints. 
If you're an R or a D, you look at the other person as a, they are now an existential threat. What we are dealing with, this is French, is a spiritual and moral sickness. See, he thinks there's something at work in this, not just individuals and not just ideas, but Satan himself is expanding and trying to make things much worse than they could be. Evil has a complexity to it that the Bible addresses in ways that match my experience. And I would say if you say, well, I don't believe in the devil, I don't believe there are any spiritual forces of evil, then I would say, okay, well, then how do you explain it? I, this is how I feel evil coming out of me. This is how I feel like it gets ramped up out of me. This is how I see it in our culture. You see the same things, don't you? Yes. Well, then what's your explanation for it? For me, it seems like the Bible is taking in the complexities of evil and helping us understand what's happening. There is a world that's working against us. There is a system. The system is also inside of us. And then there's a force or a person, the devil, who's making things more complex. This is a good thing to try to talk about when you go home today. Try to get this in your mind as what you really think about the devil, how he operates. So the Holy Spirit's a divine person, not a power, to give life, to give guidance. Devil, the devil, or Satan, he comes to kill, to steal, to destroy and finally, Jesus. Thankfully, we'll have a lot more time to stare at Jesus over the next few weeks as we look at, G at Luke chapter 4. I just want to point out two things. He is the son of God, and he is the son of Adam. Jesus is the son of God and the son of Adam. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. When I worked with Young Life, we would say, he's God with skin on. When you saw Jesus, you saw God, because that's what Jesus said. When you see me, you see the Father. The Nicene Creed that we said earlier, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, and then to try to make it perfectly clear, begotten from the Father before all ages. He's not created. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. They just tried to make sure you, there's no wiggle room on that. Jesus is part of the Trinity. We saw that both in Matthew 28. And you see it if you just look back in uh, Luke chapter 3. Probably don't even have to turn the page. This is the baptism of Jesus just prior to his temptation. Now when all the people were baptized, this is Luke 3:21, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying and the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven, the Lord, you are my beloved son. So here we have the Trinity in this one piece. Jesus is the son of God and he is the son of Adam. After that little passage is the genealogy of Jesus. And it goes through all these names. And in verse 38, it ends this way. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So when you read Luke chapter 3 and 4, what you and I are supposed to do, what the writer wants you to do is connect this passage with Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The Holy Spirit is coming down. The Holy Spirit is issuing in a new creation. And just after that is the temptation. 
Same thing you see in Genesis, you see in Luke chapter 3 and 4. The Holy Spirit hovering over creation, the Holy Spirit descending over Jesus. The Son of God, Adam created in the image of God, Jesus the Son of God. And what follows is Satan's temptation of Adam in the garden and then Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Luke is telegraphing, hey, there's something new on the horizon here. This person, Jesus, is different. He's the son of God and the son of Adam. According to the Bible, it's the last thing I'll say, our problem is that we're connected with the first Adam. Romans 5.12, just as sin entered the whole world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all mankind. That's how the Bible sees the world and humanity. We all live underneath this one representative. He sinned, and now that sin has cascaded down into every human heart. Everyone alive now is like a branch out of Adam's root. And the sap of sin that he's sending is infecting our own lives. And what we need desperately is we need a whole new root. We need a whole new Adam. We need somebody who's going to come in and resist this temptation and be the person who can graft you as a dead person into him and his sap of life and light can come through you into your life. And who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. That's how the Bible sees the world in operation. We are dead in our sins and we, need, we are dead branches that need to be grafted in And Romans 5.18 says this, Just as through one man's sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, so through one man's righteousness leads to justification and life for all mankind. That man is Jesus. We stare at him. We learn from him. And he... He leads us home. Jesus is the, the main character in the Bible. We're never going to get done. A sermon about the Holy Spirit and the devil and Jesus, a hard sermon because it's about like a better classroom lecture. But if you don't have this understanding of what's happening with these characters in the Bible, if we just kind of skip over them and get to the temptations, you really don't understand the magnitude of what's happening. And that Jesus is going to come and have to die in our place and take our place. And that's what we celebrate here with communion. We remember his death, that he gave his body and his blood so that we don't have to give our body and our blood and that we can live together with him. So all of those who are believers in Christ, let's do this in remembrance of him, taking that little cellophane off first. And then the purple wrap. Uh, Take and eat and trust in his life for your life. Let's pray together.
Lord, um, give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, lead us into a right understanding about ourselves, about the world, about our flesh, about the devil, mostly about Jesus. That we might really see the condition that we're in the world and how it works, how we need to be a part of now that new creation as Christ redeems us, as Lauren said so well, that she might then use her redemption to give back to others who are lost. Would you help us to know and trust and follow you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.